Before we dive in to this episode, I have to tell you what is up on Patreon because I have made so many changes. I put so much into it this summer and there's so much to be had over on Patreon. So first off, you can become a member for just $5 a month or we also have a pay what you can option at $1 a month because you know, stuff is crazy out there, you guys. I get it. And here's what you get when you sign up on Patreon. One bonus episode every month, an extra episode of a book that is only for Patreon subscribers. We have also started running ads on this podcast. I held out for a long time, but finally I caved. And now that we have ads, if you don't want ads anymore, all the episodes on Patreon will go to your podcast feed without ads if you just sign up for Patreon. So all episodes from here going forward, ad free. We also have access to something called a lounge. They gave us early exclusive access. It's been awesome. So basically become a member of the Patreon. We have a cookies only chat where all cookies can talk to each other. It's like a real digital book club where you can talk about books, the episodes. We talked about the Barbie movie, like so much conversation is going on there. That is where all my focus is going as well. That is where all the conversation is happening. You also get, oh my God, there's more. You also get an email of photos that go with the episode and you get emailed that every time an episode comes up. So everything we talked about in the episode, a photo of it will be sent to you as well as the reading list for the month if you want to read along. If you love this podcast, if you want to support this podcast, join the Patreon. It's so much fun. There's so much fun to be had over there. And also we are fully independent. We run fully by your Patreon support. So consider supporting us over there for just $5 a month um, and a pay what you can option at $1. And it's linked in the show notes. It is www.patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. If you just want to type it in, uh, it takes two seconds. We send you a podcast feed. You get all of the bonus ad-free stuff. So easy. And um, I'll see you over there in the lounge if you join the Patreon. Welcome to Glamorous Trash Talk. Today we are discussing the epic Real Housewives of Salt Lake City finale and incredible female characters on TV and how we can get more of them. So a month ago, I watched the best reality TV show season finale I have ever seen. Salt Lake City season four. I have been a Salt Lake City housewife stan since the series began. Half of that is because I lived in Utah for eight years as a child. And the other half is because it's just it's just the best show. And after I finished the finale, I found myself in a full rage because I had just watched completely different nuanced women with wildly different personalities with the exact same extensions and exact same lip filler. Turn heroes into villains, Villains into heroes, crack jokes, wear maxi dresses, and turn a themed Bermuda Triangle dinner into a succession-level Emmy-winning plot twist. And I thought to myself, why can I only get nuanced, layered, hilarious female ensemble TV characters in reality shows? Why can't I find this other places? If there are nine, yes, nine different Housewives franchises, why can't we have nine narrative shows? And I am not even counting the Kardashians, Selling OC. Like, there are just nine in the Housewives world, and there are girls' trip spinoffs in this show, okay? So the first half of this podcast episode, we are going to have fun. We're going to discuss the finale. I have quotes from the producers helping us solve the mystery of Monica and how much they knew about her going into the show. And in the second half, we're going to go deep and discuss my favorite thing, nuanced female characters and television. 
I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and soon-to-be author. And sometimes I'm in stuff, too. And we're going to start today's episode with the infamous clip from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City finale, where Heather really broke it down. Receipts, proof, timeline, screenshots, f***ing everything to prove that you are a f***ing bully and a f***ing troll, and you do not deserve to be at this table or anywhere near any of us for the way you've treated us. Every single one of us has woken up in fear for the that you toasted. That is bullshit. That was never my account. You're done. Today, I have a really exciting guest. He is a digital creator, LGBTQ activist, and queer Muslim. He loves to talk all things Bravo TV. As a former celebrity publicist, he loves to spill the tea whenever he can. Today, he lives out his authentic, unapologetic self and continues to learn life lessons from Real Housewives. Please welcome Amir Yass. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. I reached out to you after I heard you on a podcast, and we've been internet friends ever since, and we immediately started talking about the housewives. So are you a full-fledged, like, do you watch every city? Are you just into some? Like, how far does your fandom go? So my fandom goes all the way back. So Scott Dunlop, who created Little Housewives of Orange County, for people who don't know, his daughter went to my high school. So I remember sitting at a basketball game and he was pitching this idea to my dad. Can I have $5,000? I'm doing a show. Yeah, about women in Cota de Casa. And my dad's like, nobody's going to watch a bunch of women go to lunch and hang out. And he's kicking himself now because I told him, I'm like, there's nine franchises. You could have been a billionaire. Yes, yes. So it's kind of crazy. Like he could have been an early investor and he said yep. no. And he said no. Yep. <laughs> wow. I know. Okay, well, this is... Actually, I feel like this entire episode is going to be for your dad then because I, I want to hear about the nose of the world. And also, yes. I love having you as a guest for this because you love the housewives. I do. You are also a TV writer and comedian like me. Mm-hmm. And... You're a former celebrity publicist. So I really feel like you're the pop culture Avengers here. Like you've got every skill set for every topic. Literally. Literally. I live and breathe celebrities. And I always have. I think being in a closet, being queer, living in Orange County, I would read Us Weekly like cover to cover. And like when I got to LA when I was 17 to go to USC, I was like, I am going to find all the celebrities. And I got a job at Ledu. I worked with all the Hills people. I was like, I'm going to be around celebrities. I just love them. I don't know. Even when they're awful... I still love them. I don't know. So then you were on the celebrity beat. Would you say you are still on the celebrity beat or are you fully off it? I mean, listen, I still love celebrities, but you get to a point where you're like, they're just ridiculous. So I just, I think (laughs) I needed a break. On TikTok Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I was doing like nine videos a day covering celebrities. I was breaking news. I called that J-Lo was going to get back with Ben like three months before Us Weekly. How did you know? Wait, how did you know? I mean, I just had so much time on my hands. So I just like pieced together lunches and dinners that were overlapping where she was having dinner here and then he was having dinner there and the overlap, I was like, they're eating together. I just had that much time on my hands. I, I don't know. <laughs> love that. How many times were you like, she went to Starbucks, he went to Dunkin', but within 10 minutes, it's the same trip. You were like, oh, they're on the same coffee trip. Like Absolutely. Going and then my followers, I love them. They start sending me grainy photos of them coming out of places. And I was just like, what is happening? My life is so weird. That is such a hot scoop. So, I mean, <laughs> when they got back together in pandemic, you know, the joke was that they reset the timeline. Right. The fact that you called that, I really love that. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. I-, I can't wait to get into everything with you. I want to start with Salt Lake City. And then later I'm going to ask you 
about the New York Housewives because I know you're a big fan and you have I some am. hot takes. I do. I just want to give a couple of sentences for anyone who didn't watch Salt Lake City so they can enjoy this episode. Basically, the Salt Lake City women had this massive season where one woman, Jen Shaw, was arrested by the FBI on camera and went to prison for scamming the elderly through a telemarketing scheme. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought, like, now that she's gone after that crazy FBI season, like, how are we ever, how are they going to continue? How will they top that? Mm-hmm. And then this season, they debut a new castmate, Monica Garcia, who was Jen Shaw's assistant and a witness to the case. And she came on camera and I was like, this is amazing. Monica was not rich, which is one of the conceits of the show. This is about rich ladies. You got to be rich. Yet here she was being a regular regular, And I loved it. It was like the 1% meets regular and they imploded. And at the end of the season, they discovered that Monica had been operating a troll account for years that helped get Jen Shaw arrested and talked a bunch of shit about the rest of them. In the finale, all of that comes out. They ban her from the beach. They send her out of Bermuda. And it's so much better than I even just described. Amir, did I miss anything? I don't think you missed anything. I mean, the, the fact that this woman had been on the show and then there was like the scandal at Meredith's store, she possibly might have shoplifted. There's so, And then her mom, Linda, like she still brought it. She wasn't just the troll. She brought like a whole story to the show. So I was kind of impressed. Oh, yeah. She gave a gift of an incredible season. Like this season does not exist without her. But right. now that we are at the end, people have questions. And yes, Linda, her mom... It came out in the reunion that when she thought that she messed up her interview, she cried to her mom, like, I don't think I'm going to be on the show. And her mom said, let's pray that if you don't get it, that I will. Her mom, Linda, who didn't audition for the show. She wasn't up for it. She's just, that's the level of Delulu. Here's a big question that I think everyone is interested in, but I'm also interested in because I want to know the level of craft going into the show, the storytelling. And the big question is, Did the producers know that Monica was this troll account and that this season arc was like planned and they pushed people? And I was thinking to myself, there's no way they didn't know. But then there's this quote from the senior VP programming and development exec, Lisa Shannon. She said, we didn't even know what reality Von Tease was, which is the troll account. Lori called me and gave me a heads up. Lori is a showrunner. And I was like, what even is that? It wasn't this big blog to us, and we would have breadcrumbed it more throughout this season if it was something that we knew and we were leading up to. Our big concern was like, sure, this means a lot to the ladies, but we don't know what this blog is. So is this going to be a big aha moment for a viewer? Lori and the team did an amazing job making the viewer feel as shocked by it as the women were and as impacted by it as the women were. I love this quote so much because when I was watching it, you know, Heather's like, she is reality von tease. And I went, what? <laughs> what? what are you, what do you mean? Who? And it wasn't even one of the big Bravo accounts. And no. really it, it wasn't enough. And I love this quote because yes, better storytelling, if this was scripted, would right. be to breadcrumb it, would sure. be the ladies being like, can you believe this account said this about me? It would have been teaching us. Mm-hmm. They still pulled it off. So what do you think as a celebrity publicist. Mm-hmm. At this point, I believe them that they didn't know, but but right. do you think they really didn't? I think it's like half and half. Even Anna Marie from Beverly Hills, like if they did like very small research on her, they would see that she's transphobic and her husband has said some really crazy things. So sometimes I'm like, do they know? And they're like, 
whatever, let's just put her in there because it's going to get people talking. So I don't really know. With Bravo, it's hard to tell. So I feel like in this situation, it's like a half and half. When the first episode, they showed Heather in Bermuda on the phone. I thought it was about the lawsuit because I talked to Heather, like DM'd her about Monica and, and the whole lawsuit. I'm sorry, wait, wait, wait. You were just like, hey, girl. Yeah, I know because we've been Do talking you have a lawsuit? before. Yeah, I was like, because we talked before. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a little bit before. Okay, and okay, okay. We okay. were like supposed to meet at BravoCon. We never did, whatever. So I just reached out to her and I was like, what's going on with this lawsuit? And she told me they had to hire a social media manager to do this like, whole video about beauty laser. So I thought it was like, damage control about that. I had no idea it had to do with Monica and Reality Montes. I thought it was just like confronting Monica about this. So I was quite shocked. I was quite shocked. Yes, yeah. because Monica got some Botox and filler work done yes, yes. under one of her different names at Heather's Beauty Lab and never paid her bill. And then Heather sued her and then right. Monica sued her back. Right. Shout out to the podcaster, Kate Casey. She did absolutely call that that was going to happen. Yeah. So yes, I also thought I was like, oh, it's going to be the yeah. Beauty Lab lawsuit. Not that it was Reality Vontese. No. It's interesting. They gave another quote saying what you were saying with Anne Marie, like you can find someone's tweets. You sure. can find someone's Instagram. Sure. You can see what they've done and said. There was really no way to know that she was behind this anonymous account no. unless she told you. Right, right. You know? So at the dinner, mm-hmm. this incredible thing happens. And this is where I said the showrunner Lori or some other producer who should get a raise must have told Heather, when you are giving the big speech to Monica, cherry on top, let everyone know it was Jen Shaw who punched you in the face last season. Like, get it out there. Yeah. Make it like the big thing. Because yeah. it, it felt a little forced in. It did. What did you think about her revealing that Jen Shaw gave her the black eye? I thought it was a little forced too. I mean, I felt like it was like, we're going to confront you. I'm so angry. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Jen punched me. I'm not going to tell you any of the details. And I guess that's coming up in the third part. Of the reunion. Of the reunion. So it's kind of like, wait, what? But I also, what I really loved was where I felt like this show deserved an Emmy, this episode, was them on the beach. Where the four of them, and then the Meredith crying. It was like big little lies. And I was like, is this for real? Like, this is so good. Like, what the heck? The way her yellow maxi dress is blowing in the wind. So good. Her little halter neck hanging on for its dear life. Whitney has this cutout dress that has her, like, rose tattoo coming up her boob, like, in one of the cutouts. And they're like, what? They're crying. What happened? They're crying. The wind is blowing. I'm like, did they bring in a wind machine? Like, this is incredible weather. It's a stormy night for the Bermuda Triangle dinner. I mean. (laughs) So good. It's so good. They deserve an Emmy. so good. They deserve an Emmy. They really do. and, And I want it to be in the narrative category. Like, yes. actually, give them yes. an Oscar. I know it's yes. TV, but, like, give them an Oscar. No, they deserve an Oscar. Because it was, like, scripted TV. I was, like, watching it. And I was, like, okay, when's the next episode of this scripted Absolutely. vibe? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was great editing. It was great production. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I love about the Jen Shaw black eye thing mm-hmm. is that Jen, from prison, posted on her Instagram story, by the way. So, she didn't think this deserved the grid. And I'm, like, you are in prison, like... <laughs> You're only going to give us 24 hours, but okay, whatever. She was like, if I punched Heather in the eye, they would have the footage, blah, blah, blah. However, every second we saw Jen on the show, every episode, Jen punched something. We saw her punch a hamburger. We saw her punch the air. This woman threw shoes and stilettos. Like, obviously, she punched Heather in the face. I'm not that shocked by it. Like, she threw water on Whitney. Remember the way that she threw the water? It was like she punched the water and then it— Yes, and then it just, like, like, hit Whitney in the face. Yeah. I thought it was— So good. Okay. And now we have this finale that has outed Monica as, you know, a troll. So Mm -hmm. what did you think of Monica before the finale? 
I liked her. I always felt like she wasn't fully giving us the full story. It's almost like she kind of breadcrumbed the whole reality Montice thing. Because she's like, I have the tea about Angie's husband, and then I'm going to say it, and I'm not going to say it, but here I'm going to say it. And then all the stuff yeah. with Meredith, I felt like she was kind of breadcrumbing her own story. And again, these new girls that come on Bravo, which some people don't love it. Like one of my friends who's like a Bravo fanatic was like, I don't like how scripted it is now. And it's mm. so produced because these girls watch like nine seasons and then come on and they know exactly what to do. They know how to they be a soundbite. They produce themselves. Exactly. And yeah. it takes a little bit of that authenticity away. But the way that she was so open about her mom, I think a mother-daughter relationship is like really interesting dynamic to watch. And then she was so honest about the money thing. And I really don't think she stole the ring. You don't think she stole Lisa's ring? I don't think so. Mm. I really, I mean, when would she have stolen it? And that just seems like such a liability to like steal that yeah. ring. And you know Lisa's gonna, with her five lawyers, is gonna sue you and like take you to prison. So it's not worth it. I mean, she's so shady. She's like, oh yeah, you're not the 1%. Like she's so, oh. <laughs> she's so shady. Yeah, I loved and I'm saying loved, but even though it's sad, I did really enjoy seeing someone totally traumatized on TV. Yeah. Like she has had yeah. one of these childhoods that like I could relate to in some places. And I was like, yeah, I want to see that on TV. Yeah. Like how insane are you when your mom puts you in a trunk to make out with a guy on a hot date? Like, <gasps> yeah, you're going to join the housewives and like of course. share all their secrets. Like this is what happens. And your mom's not going to apologize either, Chelsea. She's going to say, I only did it once. Yeah. It was just one date. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> say, God. Ma'am. Ugh, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I also loved her because she was me at home on the couch. <laughs> I think all of us at home on the couch, but actually in the sprinter van able to say, stop talking about your $60,000 ring. It's not relatable. And then we get to hear Lisa be like, yes, it is. And I think it's a direct quote. Middle-class people have $60,000 rings. Yes, they do. (laughs) And I love hearing that that's how her brain works. Like that's incredible. And then, you know, Monica has all this like backstory and scams and not scams and some stuff is just trauma and some stuff is being shady. But here's my big question for you because Monica, I love what she gave us this season. She is not coming back next season. That's been confirmed. However, she could come back in the future. And when I think about that, I think to myself, even though I loved this season, I love this storyline. To me, she is that person who is a troll and wants what another woman has. And instead Mm. of making it for herself, she just tries to destroy that woman. Sure. And I think like that can get you this far. It got her on the season. But if she comes back, it'll destroy like the structure and premise of the show. But what do you think? Should she come back? Okay, so if it was last week, I would have said no, because it's kind of like with Vanderpump Rules when... Raquel wanted to come back or Rachel, whatever you want to call her. And everyone's like, nah, she's not coming back. So they booted her because it's just not going to work. Like the dynamic, it's just, it's too difficult. If Ariana's like, I'm not filming her. So I was like, do we need it? I don't know. I don't know if I need it. I like to watch Housewives because I want to watch them kind of somewhat hate each other, but still be forced to be together kind of like Miami where it's like mm-hmm. I hate I hate you but I'm still going to be on the sprinter van I'm going to still show up for the charity event. I don't like when they start separating cuz then it feels disjointed to me. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I think like it's not the hating each other that gets it cuz I also don't fully believe that they do all the time, but I love getting to see women in conflict because we never get to witness it in all its layers and glory. Hey. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back. 
so perhaps you can tell from this podcast, but I'm a very uh, anxious person. I, I operate on a high frequency and going to sleep is hard for me. It's hard to fall asleep. It's hard to stay asleep. And so the other night I got Next Evo in the mail, at, which is a CBD company. And I ate one of their strawberry flavored CBD gummies that was for sleep. And in the middle of the night, I had one of my normal wake ups and I thought to myself, ooh, I'm like, I feel so nice. I'm just going to go right back to bed. And as I was falling asleep, I had the thought of like, wow, I'm, I'm going back to sleep. And in the morning, I had forgotten I ate the gummy and I was like, how do, why did I sleep so well? And then I remembered it. So the next night I'm like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to try this again. Let's see if magic sleep happens. And lo and behold, I slept wonderfully. So I am so excited to talk about Next Evo Naturals because they have developed a clinically tested water soluble form of CBD and their gummies and capsules are proven to work faster and absorb four times better than oil-based products. I am assuming this is the fancy schmancy science that made this work because I have totally taken oil <laughs> droplets of CBD before, like during quarantine. Yes, or my husband, he was just, we were just dropping CBD into each other's mouths and you know, it didn't do much. So this is thrilling that I felt this way. I hope you could feel this way too. They also have their strongest gummy ever, the new extra strength daily wellness CBD gummies. They also have CBD lotion and you know, you know, I mean, instantly on my skin. Just anything that can help me relax, I'm so into it. Next Evo is the only brand that has conducted human clinical studies to test the value of their products, and their label contents are 100% guaranteed, so what you see is what you get. Leave oil behind and start the year with more effective and fast-acting CBD from Next Evo Naturals. Get 25% off using code GLAMOROUS at nextevo.com. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, N-E-X, T-E-V-O.com with promo code Glamorous. When you think of the messiest celebrity feuds of all time, who comes to mind? Is it Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun? Maybe it's Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, or just about anyone from any reality TV franchise. Dis and Tell is a podcast from Wondery, hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each hilarious episode will take you through one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds and serve you a little dose of chaos every week. They recently covered the story of one of the greatest feuds you've probably never heard about, Prince and Michael Jackson. Even though this feud never really played out in the press, there's still plenty of drama and a lot to unpack. And the explosive and dramatic fallout between Candy Burris and Phaedra Parks of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. They went from TV besties to sworn mortal enemies and their relationship ended with a criminal allegation that rocked Bravo and its fandom for years to come. So if you're ready to gossip and add some more chaos to your life, follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Dis and Tell early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Okay, let's dive back into the episode. I'm going to pivot us to talk about something even deeper now. Okay, so I just want to give a character rundown of Salt Lake City in its four short seasons. They brought us Mary, a black woman running a massive church revealed to actually be a cult. She's stealing most of their money, allegedly, and she only gains her church's power when her mom died, who was the true like saint, and she married her mom's husband. Okay, 
Jen Shaw, a wildly rich telemarketing scammer who, who is Hawaiian and Tongan, married to a black man in the very white state of Utah, who was indicted by the FBI and sent to prison in front of our faces. Meredith and Lisa, two white women who my husband still cannot tell apart, and they look like twins. They look exactly alike, but they have different personalities. Lisa is Mormon with a tequila company. Meredith rents gasp. And they held all the power in the group until one of the most profound female friendship breakups that ever happened when Lisa was caught on a hot mic trashing Meredith. (laughs) Then there's Whitney Rose, who met her husband via affair as a white 20-year-old girl who was banished from the church. And now she has a stripper pole in her home. And Heather Gay, also white from Mormon lineage, like literally came from the pioneers in her DNA. She is Whitney's cousin who chose Bravo fame over religion, had to leave the church, but cannot get rid of her personality of number one sister in the congregation. And now Monica, our Latina troll scammer who got on the show. Okay. I skipped the Angies and some side characters. And here's my point in all this. As a TV writer, if I were to go in and pitch those characters, I would be told to go fuck myself. <laughs> I would be right around I right around the time I got to like the third woman and it wasn't a dude, they would be like this no, this pitch is over. So tell me, has that also been your experience when pitching TV? Oh my god, how much time do we have? So I've literally been in a room with, Well, at least at least another 30 minutes in I here. love it. I love it. No, I, I but it's just it's crazy because this industry is so funny. They're always looking quote unquote for diversity and they want these rich stories. And the minute you pitch it, I remember I was in a room with all mainly white gay executives. And they were like, oh, your story seems so sad, like depression, being in the closet. <laughs> it's so celebrated now. And I was like, okay, but I'm telling the story of a Muslim coming out of the closet. Like, I'm not telling this white gay story that you want. And then they, I swear yeah. to God, I still remember the executive was like, um, can the character like have a dog? Because it would just be less sad. And I'm like, Oh, so the devout Muslim's <laughs> gonna have a dog? Do you know anything about Islam? Like, you're not supposed to have dogs. Like, you're really devout if you're very orthodox. It was, I was just like, oh my God. And then one guy out of nowhere was like, can you make Amira actually Amira and then make it a black lesbian story? And I was like, oh. Wait. But what? I, I don't Why? know anything about black lesbians. Why would I tell the story of a black lesbian? Also, Amira. She didn't even get her own name. She, don't, she just gets my name and then add an A to it. And then I remember one executive was like, there's not enough white characters. I'm like, there's three white male main characters. I don't know how many more you need. I'm gasping over here, but I have pitched a show before about single moms, Mm -hmm. really specific to the single mom experience and was told, this is incredible. Can they be dads? Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) And you're like, I mean. It's like, wait, what? So- I get really frustrated because I think a lot of people hearing this might say like, but inclusion and diversity and women and blah, they're all in, you know, Mm -hmm. the the headline is like, it's taken over and wokeness. But Mm -hmm. if you look at the industry numbers in the past few years, and they do do reports on this, the numbers uh, have gone down. Mm -hmm. So statistically, when it was like 5% of things are created by women like this year, it's like 4%. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm making up the numbers because I can't bear to look because I'll have to uh, put knives in my eyes. But I'm curious, like, why has the intense success in reality TV not bled over to narrative shows where they say clearly there is a market for these stories? Let's tap into it. Why do you think the crossover hasn't worked? It's a really good question. I mean, I think that it kind of... 
stems from, again, people's fear of stepping outside of what's comfortable. Like, even shows like Succession, right? They don't need to have as much diversity because, like, oh, we're telling the story of a white family, so what do you want us to do, right? Or, like, even Ted, Seth MacFarlane's new show. It's the 90s. It's in Boston. So it's going to be a white family. So there's ways where I feel like some of these really, like, I don't want to say smart, but clever executives get around is like, well, that's the times. What do you want us to do? You want us to put a black person? Does it make sense? Well, I agree. I'm like, yes, be authentic. You want to tell the succession story? Like, absolutely. However, there could be 10 other successions. Right. Right. There's like, there's black families, there's Indian families that are very rich and you could tell that story. But I think there's just a lot of fear. But the problem with, again, narrative TV is like, even like Sex and the City, I like kind of hate watch it. And just like that, they overdid it. So to the point where this non-binary character, Che, everyone hates them. So when Che's now fired, everyone's like fabulous. I mean, and even non-binary people are like, this character sucks. So even when you're doing it, it just feels so clumsy. But then when you do it right, like when they did Seema and just like that, they did this Indian character who's like sex positive and a real estate agent. It was so well done and it wasn't forced, right? You're not like overcompensating for what we didn't do like 20 years ago. And I think also what you're seeing is so like, like, uh, again, like, let's say I go, I, I pitch the show, right? And I'm like, hey, the black woman in the show is going to be a cult leader. And mm-hmm. she's deaf married to her mom's dad. Okay. And they would be like. No way. No, no, no. <laughs> and and I do get where the intention comes from. Right. And, and, and it is good to have, like, positive awareness and intention around these things. Sure. However, not to the detriment of not letting us write real stories, authentic Absolutely. stories. I Absolutely. mean, that is a real-ass lady who lives in Utah. Yes, that's a real-ass woman who's a Black woman. And also, the, the, the narrative that Black, Brown, or queer people are not awful assholes, I don't like that narrative because they can also be villains. There's a lot of horrible yeah. people who are Black and Brown and have a lot of diversity and are Muslim or queer, and they're awful. Like, it, we can tell those stories, you know? <laughs> and that's also my favorite. Yes. No, but I, yeah. I I, used to say this thing. It's probably written much smarter somewhere, but it's like true equality and feminism is is when women are allowed to also be evil. <laughs> like, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. when there is a horrible, violent woman, you're like, well, there's equality. And we let yeah. her rise. Did she get a lot of money? She ruined lives with it? Yes. Right. right. <laughs> like totally. Because it's not about everyone being good. Absolutely. It's about, right. yeah, equality. You get it. We get it. So I discussed the metrics, the facts, the numbers, the theories behind this with my best friend, Ashley Nicole Black, also a TV writer, in our episode about Taylor Swift, Barbie, Beyonce, and how and why when women hold 80, 80% of the consumer buying power in the economy, why will they not make us more art? And as Ashley said today, like, why are we not ripping off Taylor Swift right now 10 times? Now, I don't wish that for her, but like, Why aren't they going, hmm, seems like that's working. 10 more, 10 more big little lies, 20 more of this. The same way they do with like dude stuff. And so I will not retrack all that info, but it is one of my favorite episodes. I will link it in the show notes. And listen, we've got proof. We've got receipts. We've got screenshots. We've got the timeline. There is facts, facts, facts. We have proven over and over and again that there is a market for this. I have a couple of other theories and I'm curious your thoughts. So women and diversity being regulated to unserious and silly mediums like makeup lines, skincare, cooking, baking, reality TV. And then when men enter the space, it becomes prestige, case in point, chefs. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Chefs came in and suddenly it's like, he's got knives <laughs> and he's a genius. And you're like, this bitch has been stirring on TV too. Right. <laughs> like, right. So what do you think of like, yeah, that we get relegated to these spaces that aren't given respect. Like you can exist mm-hmm. in a space like reality TV because it's not right. real art. Do you think there's any credence to that? I mean, I think that like, even when I finally watched The Bear, I realized the real star is AO. Even like that Dahmer show, like, Nisi Nash is the star, and then you're lusting over. And I understand that, like, okay, whatever. You can lust over whoever you want. You want to lust over the serial killer? Yes, yes, go on. I guess. But I'm like, again, and I know people get really mad, and I get the DMs, and they're like, you're being racist, whatever. But mediocre white men continue to shock me because people just get so obsessed with them. I just, yeah. and, I, and I don't yeah. sometimes get it. I'm like, like, I, Jeremy Allen, I get Talented, so good, whatever. But there's just so much mediocrity in Hollywood and it's so revered and praised. And I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, Well, yeah, and also like when it's good, it's good. Sure, Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like we were talking about Succession before. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Good. It's phenomenal. Tons of dudes in that show. Incredible. Yeah. I want it. Give me more. Yeah. I just also want like all the other versions that exist, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I just don't understand how they can only exist in these other spaces. Okay, my my other point I was thinking about is <laughs> cost and safety. So reality TV is unregulated, cheap, <laughs> horrifically abusive. And <laughs> so many women and, and people of color shine in reality TV, whereas like narrative costs more, is regulated, now has unions, blah, blah, blah. And now like white men have risen up. And it's like, do sure. we think it's just purely a money thing? Well, if it costs less, then we'll do it. I think so. I mean, part of it obviously is like the writer's strike. When was it? Like not this one, but the one before The it. 2007 one. 2007, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, so I remember like, that really kind of gave reality TV such a leg up, obviously. And even with this writer strike, it didn't work out that way because I went to a lot of conferences and they weren't really buying stuff. They're buying stuff now, but they weren't buying reality TV like the way they did in 2007. So I think that it like yeah. gave people a leg up. But also, let's say you're like a woman in her 40s and you want to be in entertainment. There's no way you can do it really in any other way than reality TV unless you live in LA like or like you know people. If you live in like, I don't know, but Salt Lake City, like how is Heather Gay ever going to be on TV other than with reality? Like, I don't see- You're so right. It's you're, kind of you're amazing. You're so right. That's the only way to yeah. do it. And then again, like you write the show on Heather Gay right. and like, it's not going to be cast with Heather Gay. No. It'll be cast with like a 30 year old. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it won't be her. So if you want that, and then also I think it's autonomy as well. Reality TV gives you an autonomy that I feel like narrative TV doesn't. You could do one show, it could get canceled and then that's it for you. But with reality TV, you can really kind of build an empire- if you can make it yeah. work for you, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to read a quote. My friend Takara DM'd me this a long time ago. I saved it. And I'm going to read it now. It's from Marilyn Fry. The politics of reality. Essays and feminist theory. Real deep stuff, but no, seriously. Fucking buckle up for this shit, you guys. To say that straight men are heterosexual is only to say that they engage in sex, fucking exclusively with the other sex, i.e. women. All or almost all of that which pertains to love, most straight men reserve exclusively for other men. The people whom they admire, respect, adore, revere, honor, whom they imitate, idolize, and form profound attachments to, whom they are willing to teach, and from whom they are willing to learn, and whose respect, admiration, recognition, honor, reverence, and love they desire— those are overwhelmingly other men. In their relations with women, what passes for respect is kindness, generosity, or paternalism. What passes for honor is removal to the pedestal from women. They want devotion, service, and sex. Heterosexual male culture is homoerotic. It is man-loving. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I believe that. <laughs> curious, curious what you think of that. Because when Ooh. I read that, I said, oh, it hurts so bad. Ooh. I mean, listen, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think for me, it's the first part is homoerotic. I remember being in the closet in high school and I saw these straight men in the locker room, like slapping each other's butts, dicks and faces, like teabagging, hitting the, the towel to the butt. But then if you're gay, don't touch me, right? Like someone came out and then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, don't touch me. But it, they're so homoerotic, even sometimes like jerking off together. I mean, men do stuff like that. But then they're like, I'm straight. Like, so there's a lot. And even I saw at the um, Golden Globes, all of these straight actors kept kissing each other on the lips, kissing each other on their lips. And I get that people were applauding like male affection. But for me as a queer person, what it felt like was that when straight men exhibit any kind of queerness, like kissing on the lips, nail polish, even Timothy Chalamet style, Harry style, it's very revered and exalted. But then when Little Nas X does it or anyone queer, Billy Porter, it's like, what is he wearing? He should not yeah. be wearing that. So it's very interesting when you're straight, you have a lot more wiggle room to kind of almost play with your masculinity because it's like, well, no, he's straight, he's safe, he's good. And I, I've even seen like straight guys say like my cousin, oh, my hall pass is like Tom Brady. And it's like, wait, what are you really saying? And a lot of those people are actually very homophobic. It's very interesting. Yeah. And who's the actor in Saltburn? He was at the Golden Globes in like that white little vest. And yes. it's kind of like a crop top. Yes. And I was like, this outfit is so hot. Yes. And then I was like, oh, there's this wave of like Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles, like taking on these styles that are just like so sexy. But yeah, when Billy Porter like wore a gown, it was only exalted by like a certain group sure, of people. Sure, sure. People are like, what are you wearing? But I think his name is Barry Keough or something. He's like literally transforming into a lesbian PE teacher in front of our eyes. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 totally fine. But like, if I was to wear like something like, I've worn stuff to award shows and people are like, oh wow, that's very risque. Is it? But why is it when a straight man does it, it's seen as like, oh, he's so into fashion. It's, it's yeah, very so, interesting. Yeah, just so hot. Also, yeah. Yeah. what you were talking about earlier with um, like, like dick slaps in the locker room, it's just like, yeah, where we allow things in certain spaces. And also I just... This is the thing that kills me about Housewives. It was inspired from Desperate Housewives, which is, which so is a shocking. narrative fictional show. I know, but that was a huge success. Yes. Huge successful show, right? Yes. Now we have Real Housewives, but we don't have Desperate Housewives. Mm. We don't have the narrative anymore. Or like we get Big Little Lies for like two seasons, but why don't we have 20 Big Little Lies, 10 Big Little Lies? I was looking up female ensemble shows. I want to list these to you. Okay, Sex in the City, over, ended 20 years ago. Now we have And Just Like That. And whether you like it or not, it's thriving, y'all. Desperate Housewives, gone. Charmed, gone. The Golden Girls, gone. Pretty Little Liars, gone. Girls, gone. Big Little Lies, gone. Orange is the New Black, gone. Glow, gone. Dairy Girls, okay, we're still hanging in there. Handmaid's Tale, we're here. Buccaneers, new. Bad Sisters, new. And Good Girls, gone. And all of those were hits. They're such hits. isn't it wild that only three are on air? But they're like successes. But then Chelsea, the weird thing is that he had to keep getting rescued. Like Good Girls was like had high ratings and they get, kept getting canceled. Then Netflix saved it. And then so-and-so saved it. That just seems like unfair. Like when a show's doing well, like, I just don't understand. I know. I know. I'm like, I want the mm -hmm. science. Give me the yes. metrics. Yes. Warner Brothers in the strike, they had this <laughs> really ugly, honestly, hideous PowerPoint presentation leaked. I, I want to know like, did they not have Canva? Do they not, like, what is going on here? It was like men, 
prestige TV, like good characters, like good storytelling. And in the women bucket, it said reality TV, lean back TV. Like they don't care about stories and blah, blah, blah. To which I said, have you fucking watched Housewives? That is not some lean back shit. But also- It's not lean back shit. It was crazy to me because it's like art that is made with women in mind. They're like, oh, Ellen's show during the day, Oprah's show during the day, soap operas, like for women, they're at home during the day. Women love these shows and they go, oh, that's daytime trash. Daytime trash TV. Or they go, housewives and blah, blah, blah. Women love these shows. Oh, that's reality TV trash. It's like women love trash. It's like, bitch, that's where you put our shit. (laughs) You put our shit in the trash can. Okay, you called it trash. Now we got to live in the trash can. That's where our stuff is. Listen, if you want to say it's lean back TV or it's trash, that's your prerogative. But this show covers abuse. It covers alcoholism, rehab, suicide. I mean, miscarriages. And I think a lot of straight men should watch this. You learn about what women have to go through. And also it's amazing. You give women who technically by Hollywood standards have reached their expiration date, you give them a second career. I think it's amazing. I think it's, I've learned so much from this show. Yes. Yes. You show bodies on TV. We don't get to see. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And to tie this back into our TV conversation, you were told your show's too sad, right? Yeah. Reality TV considered enjoyable, relaxing, fun, hilarious trash talking about like you said, suicide, talking mm-hmm. about abortions, talking mm-hmm. about divorce, talking mm-hmm. about poverty. And yet when it comes to narrative, the stories are too sad. And I've been told that a lot before, but it would be like, oh, it's too sad because like there was abuse there. Like, yeah, but like it can still be a comedy, can still be interesting just because mm-hmm. like you personally, and I'm happy for you, can't relate to it. <laughs> there are so many women and men and great tastemakers in this business. I just hope they're like, coming to the top. I hope they're pushing more stuff through. Like I, yes, I'm a TV writer. I want it to be my shit, but also I love watching TV. So give me the good shit. To that end, tell me about Real Housewives of New York and why I need to be watching because I've never really watched New York. Oh, so the new iteration, right? Well, yeah, I think you you were talking to me about the new iteration, but it's like, yeah, all of it. Okay. So speak kind of going back to my point about building people's careers, right? You have Bethany Frankel, they gave her $7,000. She had to buy her own reunion dress. She's literally living in a one-bedroom apartment selling cookies in a grocery store. So you're watching this and you're like, this is sad. Like, speaking about sad, it's like, this is sad. But then by the third season, she's fully living in a brownstone and has elevated her life. I mean, it's getting married. And again, it didn't work out. Whatever, has a child. Like, all of them, you know, Luann's getting out of a marriage to a prince and she's like, what am I going to do with my life? And then you have this iteration. Sonia Morgan, all of these people. And whether or not you like Ramona, she's freaking good TV. She's yeah, unhinged. Yeah. They're unhinged. And they're also, what I like is that they're rich on a level that like a lot of people, aside from Miami, like you don't see that often where they're living in like an $8 million, $10 million brownstone alone. And they're all pretty much, except Ramona in the first season had a husband, they're all like on their own. So it's pretty impressive. So that's the part I really like. And then to kind of jump to the new Roni, they picked an eclectic group. And yes, it was very intentional. Obviously, they wanted to have people of color and it's very intentional. And they, you know, wanted to have a queer person. It's intentional, but it didn't feel forced, right? The people actually knew each other. And, you know, through the show, like, they got more and more comfortable. So again, the first like five or six episodes, they're still finding their footing. But you have to also understand they're not... Roni, it's a whole new show. It's just called Roni. So people yeah. kind of had a higher expectation. And everybody got more comfortable. And I think they stopped trying to do sound bites and be a meme. And once you settle, I feel like it was a good show. Like the last episodes and then the reunion was really good. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So get yeah. get into it. And you think like season it. two is? I mean, not season two, but yeah. season two of this version. Yes, yeah, season two. Be this, good. It's going to be good. They're, they're, they 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 kind of know what to do. And then through the reunion, there was like people popped up as more of a villain. And then one of them has a boyfriend now who she's revealed. Stuff's happening. So it's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, yeah. listen, I would watch it. It's just, there's only so many hours in the day. I'd I be watching. I'd yeah. be reading. I, I have to go to work. Okay. So then my very last question for yes. you is, would you ever go on a reality TV show to build your empire and career? I mean, I'm open to it. I mean, I almost got Muslim matchmaking, which is an iteration of like Indian matchmaking. So I went through yeah. all the steps for that. But I think that they didn't know what to do with like, an out gay Muslim, they're probably like, we don't know what to do with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, we have found zero matches for you (laughs) today. (laughs) There's like no matches for you. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm open to it. I, I don't know. I, I always feel like I'm friends with a lot of these Bravo people and I see like the emotional toll it has for them. But I also have been to BravoCon and I'm like, well, this kind of turns me on. For me, that fame is more interesting to me than if I was to do like an acting job and and do a movie and win an Oscar and then people come up to you. There's something about reality TV where you're going into people's homes, into their hearts, where people might watch Succession and be like, that was amazing. But they're not thinking about, like, I th- I'm driving and I'm like, what is Garcelle doing today? Like, I'm like, what am I thinking about? Like, why am I thinking about her? Did Dorit, like, what is she doing with PK? I hope they went to therapy. I'm like, why am I thinking about these people? That's so funny. Tell me and everyone where they can find you, follow you, support your work. Yes, thank you. See your reality TV show that's coming out soon, inevitably. I hope so. We'll see. I don't know. Um, uh, Yeah, Amir Yas, Y-A-S-S official on Instagram and TikTok. And then DM me, ask me questions. Like, I'm very open. If you have a favorite celebrity, ask me. I probably have worked with them. So, ask away. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm going to take you up on that, and I'll see you in your DMs very soon. Yes, please. And all the NDAs are up, so I don't... I'll tell you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) A huge thank you to our podcast producer, Christina Lopez, our executive producer, Jordan Moncada, our sound engineer, Marcus Hom, and our associate producer, Jaron Padre. I also want to give a huge thank you to our incredible partners over at Pattern Brands, Paquetto, Gear, and Yield. They have amazing glassware and candles and tiny spoons. They help us make a stunning tequila cocktail with our other partners at Tenteo Tequila. We will link to all of it in the show notes. Everything is in the show notes that you have heard from this episode. And if you have any more questions, go to the Patreon chat lounge and I will see you there. <laughs>